Hey, I'm glad you're with us today. Just a quick parental warning. We're going to discuss some things that, that might not be appropriate for little ears. And so if you need to pause this and take care of that real quick, that would be a good idea. Hey, David and Robin Corson are new people here at the Orchard this year, and they come from a very interesting background. You'll actually be hearing from David. He's going to speak in a, a few weeks to us, and you're in for a real treat. But he told me of a story when they went on some missionary work to a tribe that had a very primitive culture. They had never heard the message of Jesus. And what they found there was a culture that elevated the raping of women. And that was the way that the males in the tribes would get honor. It was celebrated. You can imagine the, the terror of this. And you can also imagine how the females were viewed and, and how they were valued. But, but that was their culture. It was accepted. It was celebrated and it honored those actions. The missionary team began to, to reveal the goodness of Jesus and how every single person had value. How love God and love people is at the core of what it means to be a Jesus follower. And he said that a shift began to happen. The culture of God's family and the culture of that society were in conflict. And as people turned their hearts to Jesus, as that began to change, they had the opportunity for their behaviors and values to change as well. You know, this, this clash of cultures is the core idea of today's message that we're looking at in Isaiah, I'm sorry, Ephesians 5. We've been in Ephesians um, the past months, and I want to jump right in on Ephesians 5 verse 1. We'll start going and then I'll give you some context. Ephesians 5.1, follow God's example as dearly loved children. Now the word follow here, the translation is actually imitate. Imitate God, try to be like God, work to be like, imitate God and do what he does. You need to know this. This would have been completely a, a strange paradigm to the Ephesian people hearing this. To the people of Ephesus, to, to be imitators of God would have just been from left field. I mean, just remember, they're indoctrinated into, into Greek culture. And so what are the gods and goddesses that they're used to having as, as idols? Zeus, Poseidon, Art, Artemis, Athena, etc., etc. You've seen movies about these. And Paul is telling the Ephesians to be imitators of God would be striking. Because culturally, you would never want to be or never could be an imitator of Zeus. He was to be feared. In fact, it was always best when it came to the Greek gods that you just stay off their radar. Like, you don't even want to be noticed by them. You, you do try to please them and, and get favor, yes. But try to be like them? No way. So we already see that following Jesus for the people of Ephesus is a whole new way of living. Instead of working to earn favor from the gods and goddesses, I'm instead learning to imitate and becoming like my God. He calls us dearly loved children here. This is another paradigm change. He uses the word agape again. Agape, we've discussed this. It's the big unconditional love. And remember, you cannot behave your way into agape, and you can't behave your way out of agape. It's a gift from God. And so live like children who know how loved they are, unconditionally loved. And therefore, as you in, uh, Im imitate God, we go to verse 2, then walk in the way of love. Walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. 
Walk in the way of agape. Walk in the way of unconditional love. I mean, this is the very DNA of God's family. This is the DNA of the Orchard Church. To, to, to love God and to love people. All people, no asterisks. Walk in that way. Walk in that way on the street. Walk in that way at home. Walk, live in such a way at work, wherever you would go. Live, love God, love people. Now, in verse 3, Paul takes what seems to be just an incredible left turn from where we've been. He's told us to imitate God, and now he's going to reveal some behaviors that are opposite of what imitating God would be like. So in Ephesians 5, verse 3, he says this, But among you, he's talking to the church at Ephesus, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because of these, because these are improper for God's holy people. I mean, Paul begins to go through some do's and don'ts. and He's got more to go here. And this list, as we hear a list in the Bible of don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, it hits us each differently based on our experiences, based on our personalities, based on what churches we've been to. But it's important to know why Paul's writing this and how it would have been received to the people there in that, in that time. Remember, he's writing to the people of Ephesus, a completely secular society. The, the church of Ephesus only started about eight years before this letter. So the very first Ephesian to give their heart to Jesus is only eight years old in the faith. And the majority of the church would have come to Jesus much more recent than that. So these are, these are Christians that are young in their faith, immature in their faith, and they did not grow up in a Christian culture. They don't know a lot of these things. And so what Paul is doing here is giving these new Christians the rules of the house. Now, now, we know what the rules of the house are. If you, ever, if you have young kids or if you've ever had young kids come over to your house, um, the rules are different when you go to somebody's house. When I would take my little, little kids over to, to the grandparents, we would have to go around and show them the rules of the house because you might be able to jump on a furniture at our house, but it doesn't mean you can jump on the couch at grandpa's house. And so you want to make sure that you let them know the rules of the house, of the new place that you are. Now, the same way the boundaries of God's family are different, the, the rules of God's house, then the boundaries of, of a secular culture. There's a different set of boundaries. So let's look at the culture of Ephesus just for a second, because it, it's, it's a very interesting city back in history. Ephesus was a port city, very busy, very wealthy. They have the, the Temple of Artemis there. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. They had the third biggest library on the planet, the Celsus Library. They had the second biggest gymnasium in the ancient world and the largest theater of Asia Minor. The worship of Artemis was so lucrative there in Ephesus that they had the world's largest bank during the time of Paul. I mean, just a wealthy city circling around this goddess Artemis. I mean, the whole culture was formed around her. She's the daughter of Zeus. She was worshipped in Ephesus as a fertility goddess. This meant there was a lot of sensual practices. And there were actually official temple prostitutes to help people in their worship of this goddess. It was consuming. Artemis worship was consuming in Ephesus. So when Paul brought the good news to, to Ephesus in AD 53, many people converted, but but there's a lot of money on the line. There's a, there's a powerful hold there in that city and culture. And so the Artemis loyalist tried to kill him. But he left behind a growing church 
that was dedicated to Jesus. An, an outpost of light just surrounded by the darkness of that city. And a new Christian in Ephesus would, would have a challenge, not just believing differently, but finding that, that, that following Jesus and worshiping Artemis were completely opposite. Like the rules of the house were completely different. Much like earlier we discussed that tribe's values and, and how different they were. Even with Artemis worship and practice being so central there in Ephesus, things like worshiping through prostitution, it wasn't just common, it was accepted, it was encouraged. Sexual morality, even as we know it here in America, I mean, we would blush at the practices of Ephesians. A friend of mine who traveled there and was going through a tour, he, he was shown this wall. And all along this wall were numbers carved into it with um, figures in different, figures and numbers carved into the wall. Each wall a different number and a different figure. And since Ephesus was a port town, that I mean, people were coming in from all different nations and languages. They didn't have a common language. And, and so to help people uh, find their unique sensual fleshly pursuits, they carved numbers and pictures on the walls so you could simply um, go to that section of the wall and that would be what your flesh wanted. I'll leave it at that. But when you get to a town and there is a life-size menu of depravity, you know you're not in Kansas anymore. And that was Ephesus. That was every day in Ephesus. They didn't think much of it. That, that was life. You can imagine how all this, if this was normal life, when the good news of Jesus would come and showed you a true path to eternal life, but also the true path of life here on earth, there were some intense adjustments, adjustments that would need to be made. And this is, this is what happens in, in Ephesus. The culture of Ephesus and the culture of God's family could not coexist in the heart of the new believer who wanted to follow Jesus. And so Paul in Ephesians 5 begins to tell them the rules of the house, God's house, which included honor God with your thinking, with your speaking, and with your body. And so we read on as Paul lists some more ways that the cultures are different here in verse 4. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these aren't for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of God. For the greedy person is an idolater, like, like money is their idol, and they're worshiping the things of this world. He says, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. Ah, it's no big deal. It's just the way it is. Don't be fooled by people who try to excuse these sins. For the anger, anger of God will fall on those who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. Wow. Wow. And now watch how Paul holds these two cultures side by side for comparison. This kind of brings it together. For you were once in darkness, but now you're in the light of the Lord. Live as children of light. So we're told in verse 1, as loved children, walk in the way of love. We're told here in verse 8, as loved children, walk in the way of light. Walk in love and walk in light. He goes on in verse 9, For this light is within you. And guess what? It produces what is good, what is right, what is pure. The very opposite of those things he's been naming in this culture. He said, carefully determine, like have some discernment, what pleases God. 
take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness, because you're a child of light. Instead, expose them. So be careful how you live. Don't live like the fools, but live like those who are wise. A fool lives for today, for the moment. Uh, Someone who's wise lives with a greater purpose in mind. Paul then gives them some even further contrasts between the fruits of their culture and the fruits of God's culture. He says, don't be foolish, but understand what God's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, and sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Man, there's so many sermons we could just do with and all this, but, but Orchard, Paul makes a great point here that personal worship is a hallmark of someone who's pursuing God of someone who God's spirit is is active and present. Worship is warfare. When you are surrounded by a culture that doesn't follow God's way, worship brings, focuses your heart on who is most important. Worshiping God is how we align and strengthen our soul to the culture of heaven, even in a dark culture. Worship correctly orients my moral compass to God. It's hard, it's, it's hard to worship God when my heart worships money. And that's the point he's making here. Take note, just an aside, maybe write this down. Take note of your personal worship. How often it is, how passionate it is, how authentic it is. Does it just happen when you're in a, a corporate environment, a gathering? Do you have times where you sing and make songs from your own heart to God? Take note of your worship, your personal worship, because it reveals more about your heart for God, then you know. Now, that's the end of today's section of Ephesians. But I want to pull out some things from that section we just went through. You see, we have Paul speaking about two different things here. He talks about how we are to be, and then he talks about what we are to do and not do. Be and do. He says, be children of God who walk in love and who walk in light. And then he says, and do and do not do these things. And he gives us this list. We have what seems to be love on one side, be, walk in love, and a list on the other. Love on one side and a list on the other. I want you to think of an an old dirt road. Just one single lane dirt road. and, And it has like a rut on each side. It has love on one side and it has the list on the other. Be and do. And here's what I know about myself and and humanity. You see, given the choice between those two different ruts, love and the list, we're drawn to one more than the other based on experience, based on on our personality. We may go into the love side and drive into that rut and, and soon believe this. There's no need to do anything on that list. I'm loved. I can do what I want because, I mean, God forgives me anyway, right? And there's actually a group of people mentioned in the Bible who, who embodied that very belief. They were called the Nicol- Nicolodians, the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans. They believed that their spirit and their body were so separate that they could do whatever they wanted with their flesh because their spirit was good regardless. They would just, hey, whatever makes me happy, I'm going to do because I'm good, right? We're good. They fully went into the, to the love and the liberty rut and decided that obedience just wasn't even an issue. So that's one side. 
The other side is to veer off into the list and legalism and get stuck in that rut. And this person says, okay, I have a very specific list of do's and do nots here in my Bible. And, and my spiritual life depends on how I behave and check off these boxes. We talked about this last week. If you missed it, go back and listen to that one. All, all love and no obedience leads to sinful license, just a license to sin. I can do what I want. God's okay with it because he loves me. But if I do all obedience and no love, that leads to religious legalism. I have to do it this way, like it says, or I'm not loved. More often than not, churches in Christianity have usually veered off into the list of religious legalism, for the most part. Do you know why? Because it's easier. It's just easier. It's easy to know if I'm checking boxes as opposed to walk in the light. You know, how do I know if I'm walking in love? I know if I'm involved in, in sensual immorality. And so we gravitate towards what we can easily define. And, and this is what we've been guilty of in the past. We've been guilty as a church of elevating a list of do's and do nots as a measure of godliness so I can be a, a, a quote, good Christian because I follow the list. Perhaps you've experienced something like this in your journey in the past, or, or you've experienced people like this. Perhaps you've had people come to you, and they don't look at you through the lens of love. They've judged you through the lens of a list. And if you didn't conform the way their list said to conform, well, you were backslidden. And if you don't know what backslidden is, that's not a good thing in churchianity. Here's the bottom line. The love and obedience, both sides, are important in their own unique way. It's not one or the other, it's both. You see, it's a dance, but love is always leading the waltz. In fact, let's go back to the very first verse here in Ephesians 5. He says, imitate God because you're a dearly loved child of his and walk in the way of love. Do you see it says, love first, live second. Did you ever run track? I ran track in high school, and I remember, you know, getting down into the starting blocks before a sprint, and, and you look up the track, and, and you, you see the finish line off in the distance. And, you know, we would all start on that short sprint at the same place, but how we finished depended on how we crossed the finish line. The finish line would determine our ranking and our placement. To take that and apply it spiritually, in Jesus' culture, the finish line is actually not what gives you your rank. The finish line doesn't give you your value. The finish line doesn't give you your worth. You see, when it comes to Jesus, the starting block is where you get your worth. The starting blocks of following Jesus is unconditional love. Salvation is the starting line. I don't earn it at the, at the finish line. Your worth, your value, and rank, when you're in those starting blocks, are already fully established. You're a beloved, like it says here, unconditionally loved child of God. That's how you start. And then from that love, that starting block, you get to run free the race of life. And you get to run free of the pressure of trying to measure up to some, some list to earn your divine approval. You get to run the race of life from love, not to earn love. And that is a huge difference 
between authentic Jesus following and all the other religions. So while religions all tell you that you're going to earn something, favor, uh, whatever it would be, you're going to earn it by the way you live. Jesus tells us that our worth and our value to God is established, not earned. If I was to ask you, how are you doing spiritually? Is God pleased with you? How is your spiritual life doing? In fact, let me ask you that right now and just pause and think about it. How are you doing spiritually? And chances are most of us, when we ask that question, we think through some things that we're doing that we shouldn't or some things that we should be doing that we're not. We think of our behaviors. And I want you to realize that hopefully today it's been revealed that, that we may have been elevating a list to measure up, to find some sort of worth. And that we're, we're trying to do the right things and not do the wrong things to earn favor, to earn love. And I just want you to know, first and foremost, that's normal. This is a battle all humanity fights. It takes constant correction. It takes constant renewing of your mind to live your life. Remember, oh, I, I live from love. I don't live my life to earn love. We talked about how Paul's telling the Ephesians all this because they're, they're babies. They're young in their faith. They, they've, they've come from a Greek culture with, with gods who, guess what? The gods of the Greeks only care about how humans are behaving to gain favor. These Greek gods were not someone uh, that you knew loved you, and so you could just be you or you could, you could fall out of affection. No, you either earn their favor or receive their curses. So Ephesians receiving from Paul the command to walk in love and a list of rules of God's house to clarify, they have, they have, they have walk in love and they have a list of how to live. There's only three options for the Ephesians when they receive this, this Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians can err on the side of love. Ah, oh, we should walk in love. We're beloved children. Err on the side of love and not obey. The Ephesians could choose to err on the side of obedience and try to work the list and, and earn love and favor. Or the Ephesians could walk this delicate balance, this dance between love and obedience because they are loved and they are therefore obey out of love. I wonder which one they chose. I wonder which way the Ephesians went. <laughs> we know the answer. We know precisely what they chose. You see, around 85 AD, 24 years after Paul sent this letter to the Ephesians, Apostle John wrote another letter to the Ephesians. You see, John was banished on the Isle of Patmos because he was preaching. He receives this vision of Jesus and then Jesus gives him the words of the book of Revelation. Jesus speaks directly to the very church of Ephesus. Listen to this in Revelation 2. This is Jesus talking to the church of Ephesus. I know your deeds. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. Did you catch that? I mean, I mean Paul's letter has taken effect they have good deeds. They, they work hard. They, they endure in an evil, dark culture. They don't tolerate evil, and they don't accept false teaching. The list, Paul's list, they took deep root in it, and, and they followed it. And Jesus commends them for this. And then we go one verse forward in verse 4, Revelation 2, verse 4. Jesus says this to the Ephesians. 
but I hold this against you. You do not love me as you first did. You have forsaken your first love. It seems they didn't keep the balance of love and obedience. They chose the, the, the rut of religious legalism and they have forsaken the love they used to have for God and for each other. He continues, Jesus says this to him, look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the things you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Sure, you kept the list, but you've fallen from my greatest command, love, and you fell out of love into religious duty. Turn back and love me like you did at first. You know, it seems like the people there in Ephesus, they had the same challenge that we do. When confronted by, by the list, by, by obedience and by love, I mean, they, they veered into, into the list. They veered into religious obedience and, and lost their first love. They forsook their first love, and instead they chose to judge their spiritual life just based on their religious behavior. They forgot that love was the starting block. And, and they, instead they tried to, to live in such a way to, to earn God's favor. <laughs> Swapping the starting block for the finish line. I mean, they're just like us. Which is, which is a problem. And it's a big problem. And so what about you then? Like, where do you fit into this? Perhaps you're seeing this in your own life today. You've, you've come to feel that, that God is pleased with you or not pleased with you simply based on how you are following a list of, of things you should do or not do to earn his favor. That, that's not Jesus' culture. That's Zeus's game. And today, maybe I hope you just had a refresher on some of the rules of God's house and the temptation might be, to, might be to go home and begin to work on the rules, work on the list. Remember, the starting block is unconditional love. You can't earn any more love than you already have from God. We were born into love. We're called to walk in love. And in love, we choose to obey our beloved Father. So that His light, when we do that, His light will shine brightly to a culture around us. Perhaps today, if you were honest with yourself, these words of Jesus would ring true in your own, own heart and own faith. We need to ask, am I someone who doesn't love God like I used to? Do you look at your, your faith now and see that there's not the fire, not the real conviction. There's barely a spiritual pulse at times. Jesus says in Revelation 2 to, to turn back to me and do the things you first did. What were the things you, you did at first? Not out of religious duty, but out of loving devotion. Was your worship more passionate at some point in the past? Was your, was your Bible reading more sincere in seeking to find God's heart? Were your prayers more honest, more real, more robust, more passionate? Were you gathering with, with brothers and sisters who truly spurred you on toward godliness and living a better life? Maybe you've lost your first love. Maybe things are colder. If that's you, it's time to do what Jesus said in Revelation 2, to turn back 
to him and do the things we did at first. Back when you would obey out of love, not obey to earn love. And finally, to end it all, in the last verse in Revelation, Jesus says this to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus, you have this in your favor, like, like you did something right. He says, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Remember what I said about the Nicolaitans earlier? They believed their body and their spirit were so separate that they could do whatever they wanted in the flesh because their heart's good. Ephesians erred on religious legalism, but they did avoid the other side of the road. Neither pleased Jesus, but Jesus makes it clear. He hates this practice over here of the Nicolaitans. I was going to leave this part out, but I just kept feeling like this was important for somebody listening today. You know, we've come to believe that salvation is some get-out-of-hell-free card, like it's fire insurance for some day, and because I have my card, I can do whatever I want now. You know, God forgives me anyway, right? Jesus makes it clear here what he believes about that belief system, that belief that, that, that sin isn't really sin, where sin is okay with us, and we think God's okay with it too. I mean, it makes me happy, so it's got to be good. God would want me to be happy, right? You know, for some here, we need to be reminded of the truth that behavior matters. Obedience matters. It's, it's the fruit of our faith. And that because you are loved, God wants you to follow him in ways of goodness and battle against those ways of darkness. Battle against sinful practices. That there is sin in life. It is contrary to God's rules of his house. And even in a culture like ours that truly does celebrate and accept so much of sin and call it good, that God wants us to live differently. God desires for us, his children, dearly beloved, to avoid sin, cast it aside, not out of religious duty, but, but out of loving devotion to him. So I don't know who that's for today. But somebody, may the conviction of God right now gently show you that you are living, in fact, like the Nicolaitans, believing that your sins are okay and that God's kind of okay with them because you're good. Know that Jesus says here he hates that way of living. But he doesn't say he hates that person. He doesn't hate you. Remember, you live in unconditional love. But he, did, he didn't create us to just dive into sin that way. So, for, for whoever that would be for, it's time to turn back to God. Like he said in Revelation 2, turn back to me. Do what you first did. Like the prodigal child, it's time to come back to God and be fully forgiven of all that you've done and be restored from that lifestyle. On the other hand, others of us, we need to repent of our religious legalism, our churchianity, I love to call it, because our faith is cold. Our prayers are just boring. Our Bible isn't cutting it for our faith. And, and, and gathering with believers, it is free falling down the list of priorities because we've chosen a list. We've chosen a gospel of sin management. It's time for our hearts to return to the Father as well. Both hearts are far from the Father. It's time to return and like the prodigal child, have our religious routine and legalism be replaced by a robust and passionate pursuit of Jesus to follow him truly. It's time for us to return.
These are, these are heavy concepts. It's such a delicate balance here. And we see in, in Revelation in the, in the church of Ephesus how this can be taken any different way. But there's this, this dance of love. Love and obedience. That we obey because we love him. And we can't be okay with our sin. We should not be okay with our sin because we're in a loving relationship. Bottom line, our obedience matters to God. But we are to obey him because we love him. And he loves us, not, not because of legalism. Love and obedience, hard balance. And today, today the question is, what stood out to you from this? Because there's so many, just the groups are so different. Which side of this is the Spirit of God calling you to look into? Maybe you can admit that your faith is cold and you've been guilty of just doing things out of religious obedience without truly pursuing God. You've lost the fire. You've lost the passion. Or perhaps on the other side, and, and you've just been avoiding godly obedience. You're living in a way that isn't walking in the light. And that's obvious today. For both sides, the solution is the same. Come back to God's love. Turn back to Him where you can be forgiven of, of, of everything. There's no condemnation. Everything. He loves you that much. Come back and be forgiven and restored and then make adjustments in your life that are needed to walk forward in the light and to walk forward in the way of love. And to start doing once again, maybe those things that you used to do, you used to, you did that made your faith alive, that brought passion, that your worship was, was on fire. You know, one way, one good way of doing that during this season, I would encourage you to do if you have not done, is to join a growth group here at the Orchard. A small group of believers who are pursuing Jesus in their walk, to try to walk in light and walk in love. To be in a group like that helps you know, you put a bunch of coals together and they all get warmer. Perhaps that's what you need. If you're not in a growth group, I would say this is just the very first small step to help you grow and mature spiritually in, in, the, next, in the next season. Because the truth is, like Ephesus, our culture is contrary to God's kingdom and family. And we need to be surrounded by people like that that can spur us on. If you want to join a growth group or find out more about the staff or our church or to get involved or to support us financially, you can find all that information at our website, www.theorchardlife.com. Woo, Ephesians 5, the first part. Next week, ah, oh, this week was easy compared to next week. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Orchard, I love you. I pray for you. And as always, love God and love people.